good morning. That was like a perfect song for the message that we're going to be looking at today. But before we do that, who's ready to play Name That Fear? Yeah, right. Thank you, I appreciate it. The 9 o'clock hour was like, wow, this isn't going to go over very well. So I've got the, ten, the top 10 fears from uh, some website. So, uh, so it's got to be right, right? So I'm going to give you the fear, and then you've got to come up with what the name is for that fear. Okay, ready? So the first one, fear of spiders. Arachnophobia, good, very good. You won't get any more of these. Fear of snakes. Snakeophobia, yes, that's, that's one way to... Aphidiophobia. Try to say that ten times fast. Fear of heights. Acrophobia. Who said that? Nice. Acrophobia. You get an you know, acrobat. See? Okay. That. <laughs> I got like some people booing this. Wow, go easy now. This is just a little fun. You know, a little fun before the message. Oh my word. All right. Fear of uh, flying. Aerophobia. Aero. Aerodynamic. Okay, sorry. Uh, next one. Fear of dogs. <laughs> I've got three people barking. <laughs> it's so weird. I think we're just going to stop this and get to God. All right. Sinophobia. Sinophobia? It sounds like sinuses. Fear of nostrils or something. All right. Six, the fear of thunder and lightning. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody got scared today because there's thunder and lightning? Anybody? What is it? Astrophobia. Anyways, number seven, the fear of injections. Now, I have what they call vasovagal. Ouchie, ouchie phobia. Maybe. It is. Trypan, trypanophobia. It's easy for you to say. Japanophobia. All right, number eight, the fear of social situations. No, it's not that. It's actually called social phobia or social, okay, wait, wait. Uh, social anxiety disorder is what they actually, which actually an acronym for SAD, which is actually SAD. Fear of being alone. Who, somebody just, someone said it for this last one. Agoraphobia. Yeah, yeah. See, you learn something new every day. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> and this is all free. Um, and then the last one, excessive fear of germs. Well, that's what we, yeah, that's what we call it. Misophobia. Misophobia. So how'd you do? Anybody get them all right? You're lying if you did. That's all I'm saying. I was going to give away a t-shirt to the person who had the most uh, accurate, most number accurate. So if, if you're not typically lying and you did get a good score, you know, we can maybe give you a t-shirt or something. Not the one I'm wearing. It'd be like a Grace, Grace Point t-shirt, just so, just so you know. Now, so you might be wondering, okay, uh, I don't understand, Harold. We're doing a series called Christian Atheist. Anybody heard that phrase before? Christian Atheist? Okay, some of you guys. All right. There's actually a book written. Uh, called Christian Atheist. 
But you may be wondering, okay, we're talk, you're starting out things with talking about fear, but you're talking about Christian atheists, whatever that is. So let me just start with what the definition is, and then I'll explain why we're talking about fear. So here's the definition that we're working with. It's a person who says they're a Christian but functions like an atheist. Well, I was always ta- taught that you don't use the words that you're trying to define uh, to define the word. Okay, so, so I've kind of changed it. I didn't change it, but it made it so maybe it's a little more understandable. So it's a Christian who says they believe in God or believe that God exists but live as if he doesn't. Okay, so a Christian atheist. So it's a person who, by claiming that they're a Christian, that they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, and by doing that, they're saying, I trust that God's got my eternal life handled. I don't have to worry about anything. That I know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But they live life as if God doesn't have their earthly life taken care of. All right, so they believe, yeah, God's going to save me and take me to heaven one day, but I don't think I can trust him for what's going on for life today, how I should handle life. Because God's saying, hey, listen, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, then uh, I want you to do life this way. We're going to find out why in this message, but I want you to live life this way. And this particular Christian is like, okay, I get that, but I want to do things my way. I've got my way of handling life. And so this morning, we want to talk about the issue of fear. So Christians who live as if God doesn't exist oftentimes have a lot of fear in their life. Because obviously, if you can't trust that God exists, you can't trust that someone's got your back um, in that sense. And so there's a lot of fear, but I'm going to talk about three that I've had conversations uh, about with Christians. And here's just kind of recently, there's been some conversations that I've had over the last couple of years. And so we're going to look at three of these. And the one is, they fear living fully committed to God. Uh, they fear the changes that are going on in our nation. And they fear death. Okay, so we're going to look at those three. And they're very, like I said, there have been very uh, fairly recent conversations over the last several years. Um, you know, COVID really kind of, nail things for us, I think, which was probably a good thing. But the first one I look at is this idea of uh, a fear of living fully committed to God. So first of all, uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're, you're probably familiar with this command, and that's this command that God gives us throughout Scripture of be holy. Sometimes it's be holy for I am holy, God talking. Uh, I'm God saying, hey, I'm holy, I'm sinless, I'm without sin, I'm separated from sin, so I want you who are my followers to separate themselves from sin as well. Obviously, he's perfect, we're not. We will be when we get to heaven, but for now we struggle with that. But just that phrase, be holy, in reference to those who are followers, I did a real quick search, um, actually this morning, I did a real quick search through, I have a computer program that lets me do this, um, and it's at least 10 times, from the Old Testament and New Testament, 10 times we hear this be holy or be holy for I am holy statement or command that we have. Uh, it, it, he said it to the uh, priests in Israel as well, so I could have added those in too, but I didn't. This is just kind of general followers of God. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be set apart for his purposes. We're not to be sinning um, in how we live life. Now, that's not counting the words 
blameless. It's not counting the words sanctify or be sanctified. It's not counting the word obey. It's not counting all the times. He says, hey, this specific thing you need to be doing, it's just be holy for I'm holy, at least 10 times in the Bible. So as we know, we're to be holy. We're to be finding and seeing and letting God show us areas of our life where we're not doing life His way and adjusting our lives to become more like Christ, to be living more like the way God wants us to do it. So why is it that some Christians, and maybe all of us at one time or another, fear living that fully committed life? Now, I, I, there's an ultimate reason we're going to look at, but there's, uh, there's probably like two answers that I get from people as we kind of discuss this. And so the first one is if this is like we're talking about a private sin that a person has, you know, that you're struggling with, kind of a, a sin that's uh, trying to take over your life and you keep struggling with it and fighting with it and it's, yeah, you know, I want to give it up, I don't want to give it up, that kind of thing. Is that we don't believe what, that what God has for us, if we obey Him, is better than what we're experiencing from that sin. And so whatever the sin is, you can you know, just think whatever yours is if you're this person. We think that, that doing that sin or giving into that temptation to sin, that there's a rush with that, there's a, um, a release with that, there's um, yeah, this initial sense of calm maybe that comes over, or maybe a sense of control and power over, whatever it is. But we, we're kind of, we want that feeling and so we give in. Now we know that once we do that, that then we feel guilty and we feel bad because we know we shouldn't be doing that and it didn't do what we thought it was going to do, but then, well, maybe I need to do it more because if I do it more, then I will have that feeling and we found out that that's not the case and pretty soon we're stuck in some sort of addiction or some sort of struggle. But the, the big reason is that we don't believe that what God has for us is better than what we're experiencing. The second one, no, you go back, please. Thanks. We fear someone's response to our obedience. So I've heard this a lot. Um, yeah, I know I need to do this, but when I do this, people get angry with me or people want to, they'll reject me. They'll get out of my life, maybe. Um, have other people, they kind of make fun of us. They, um, I've heard from some that, uh, every time they start doing that, then people say, well, I remember who you were before, and I don't even know this is a real thing for you. And so that kind of pushes them back, and they struggle to, to do the change or make the change that needs to happen. But this all comes from an ultimate reason, um, and that is this. We don't believe God is good. We really don't believe that. We may say He is. We may want to believe it, but we don't really know that he is good, that his way is the best way of doing life. And the reason why we don't believe he's really good is because we don't really know him personally. We haven't really seen him at work in our lives. We've obviously not been obeying, and so that is part of the problem. But throughout the Bible, God is described as good or doing good. And I'm just pulling three passages from Psalms for us to look at. I've spent, whenever I'm, you know, kind of struggling with life and just wanting, needing to spend some time with God and pouring out my heart to God, I go to the Psalms and I pray the Psalms. And so Psalm 18 says this, as for God, his way is blameless. In other words, you can't find anything wrong with what God does. 
The word of the Lord is tried. In other words, what God says, it's been tested and found to be true. What he says is true. What he says is going to happen is, ha- is going to happen. What he promises, he fulfills. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. When, when the Bible talks about taking refuge in God, it's not like going hiding into, in a closet. But it's going and hiding in God by doing life his way so that he will then protect and provide for us. And so that word really means you're my refuge because I'm going to be obeying you and then you're going to provide and protect for me. Psalm 119 says, speaking of God, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Now, why would King David say, teach me your statutes? Well, because he wants to obey. He wants to know how good God is and how good God does things. And then the next one, Psalm 145 says, now this, this verse, verses, they are just packed full of promises from God. Okay, so just, if nothing else, pick out the promise and enjoy them. <laughs> it says, for the Lord is righteous in all his ways. In other words, he does everything right. And kind in all of his deeds. He doesn't command us to do anything that's going to hurt us. He's kind. He's not looking to hurt us, not looking to kick us when we're down. The Lord is near to who? To all who call upon him. So if you're not calling upon him, he's not going to be near to all who call upon him in truth, so you've got to make sure you're living in truth, he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. So if you respect and honor and obey God, he's going to fulfill your desires. Now, you also understand that if your desire is a sin, he's not going to fulfill that, right? It's basically when your heart is aligned with God's heart, your desires are going to be God's, heart, or God's desires. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps, he provides and protects all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so God is good. He can't do anything but good. He will never do anything to hurt us or to injure us. His way is always the best way for us. Is it difficult? Yes. At times it's very difficult. Just like I was saying, we have people who are going to you know, push back against us when we try to do life God's way. We're going to have our own flesh who wants to take over control and not do life God's way. But listen, anytime we do anything that we think is important in our life, something that we maybe need to get better at, we just call it training. So why don't we just call this training if it makes, it'll make us feel better, right? We're okay with training ourselves or disciplining ourselves when we're playing sports or playing an instrument or, um, you know, we've got some of these guys that are going out fishing and some of them can't catch any fish and so they keep fishing to try to get better at it. So they're training. It's frustrating, but they do it and they hook their ears and it's a bloody mess, but they they do it. Why? Because it's important to them. You know, same thing with, with our relationship with the Lord. It's part of our discipline. It's part of our our training. So this is you. What's the solution? Because God does exist. And God does command us to be holy. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. So how do you overcome the fear? Here's the solution. Get to know God and experience how good He is. Know what God says about Himself. Know what, uh, how He operates Know why he does what he does, which, by the way, is only found in the Bible. So you need to spend time in God's Word studying out who God is. And 
I, I threw a couple books up here for you uh, that can help you with that as well. You can kind of read Scripture and read these books, and when they're talking about Scripture, you can go to Scripture and see what they're saying. But J.I. Packer and A.W. Tozer, a couple good oldies that are, are awesome, easy to read. It helps us understand who God is. Then as you grow in your understanding of who God is, and as your mind begins to be renewed, like the Bible talks about happening when you read His Word, the Holy Spirit begins to change the way we think, then we need to obey Him. Because in the obedience is the experience of knowing who God is. It's the personal relationship of that. Look what King David says in Psalm 34. He says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Taste means to perceive with experience or through experience. So this morning, I'm getting ready. I wake up early on Sunday mornings and I go through my message and Kim's awesome. She makes me coffee and she makes me breakfast. And this morning, since I didn't have my special bread, I, uh, I had an omelet and she throws in this white cheddar cheese, you know, just like it's kind of oozing out. And then there's bacon in there because she loves me that much. She'll feed me things I shouldn't eat. And so I... Um, I don't think she's going after my life insurance. But anyways, it, it's just sitting there. And I got this coffee. And I got this omelet. Oh, so good. And so I just left it there, and I just kept on working on my message. No, it, I didn't do that. I took the fork, and I cut into it, and forked it, and cheese, and rolling the fork, and there's more cheese, and rolling the fork, and finally I just had to pull the cheese out of it because there's so much cheese. It was just basically cheese with some egg and bacon in it. But, and then I... Oh, so good. So good. Now I'm really hungry. Uh, wow. I would have never known how good that omelet was unless I ate it. That's what we're saying about God. Just learning details is maybe, maybe smelling Him. <laughs> but it's not knowing it. It's not perceiving it and experiencing it. How blessed, glad, and satisfied is the man who takes refuge. There it is again. How glad and satisfied is the person who does life God's way. Oh, fear, that has this idea of honor and respect, obeying God. So, oh, fear the Lord, you saints, those who trust God. For to those who fear Him, there is no want. You'll have everything you need if you just do it God's way. Not everything you want, because not everything you want is good for you. Sometimes, you know, you're thinking, well, it's not a bad thing. Well, yeah, you're right, it might not be a bad thing, but it's not what God wants you to have. It's not what you need in order to continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So know Him, obey Him, and experience His goodness. The second fear is this, uh, the fact that Christians live like atheists when they fear changes in our nation. And again, I've had conversations with this coming out of COVID. This was huge. It feels like everything's spinning out of control, right? I mean, we got inflation now. We got gas prices that are that are high, and I heard CNN was all excited because the gas prices had come down. It's kind of like us getting a raise. <laughs> well, yeah, but they're a lot higher than they were a few years ago, and now we've got uh, drag shows in libraries. We've got drag shows in schools. We've got pronoun issues. We've got gender issues. We've got lawlessness. 
We've got people stealing cars. Like in San Francisco, they decided they're not even going to arrest people anymore. <laughs> they're taking cars right off the street. And it's just like, oh my word, it just keeps happening. And polls are saying that the American people don't want this in our country. But it just keeps happening. It keeps happening. The government keeps making stupid choices. The media doesn't seem to report everything. Social media censors what we're doing and saying. The medical world. You know, we thought there was science, and now we're not really sure. It's almost, it's almost as if this is supposed to happen. And if you're sitting here going, really? Yeah, it is supposed to happen. As Christians, we should know this. This should be getting us excited. There's a lot of good because of what's happening in our world today. This isn't unusual. This isn't, this isn't unplanned. This shouldn't be something that we are fearful of and afraid of. God's plan for the end times is happening right in front of us. It's happening just as he said in God's word. And this should excite us because we can, we can share the message of, with people that, that God loves them, that God cares about them, that he wants a relationship with them, and that this world, which isn't going to last forever, that they have a place to go for eternity in heaven. And until that time, if things get even worse, we're going to be more and more like that first century church. We're going to have to help each other. We're going to have to be there for each other. We're going to be working together. We're going to have a true meaning of what fellowship is. We don't know that now because we've got everything we need and way more than we even want. But the more this comes crushing in on us, Christians, the more we're going to shine. We'll have people leave. We'll have people go their own way. The Bible tells us that. But we're going to be able to help each other and and experience that. Again, aren't we the ones that believe what the Bible says? Colossians 3, 2, we talked about in our last series, says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. I think we have too many Christians who love this world, love everything about it, and what they can get from it, and what they feel in it, or they love our nation. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our nation. I'm not saying we shouldn't you know, vote in people who are going to hold back wickedness and lawlessness not saying that but there's a plan that god has there's a plan that god's operating and it's supposed to go in this direction and we need to set our minds on things above we need to think the way god wants us to think and respond the way god wants us to respond yes god's blessed our nation we've had peace and we have wealth but he's not obligated to keep that going god only made a covenant with the nation of israel not with the United States. And at end times, if you read through Revelation and you read the Old Testament prophecies, it's about Israel. And it's about what the nations around Israel are doing. It's not about the U.S. So what should you do if you're this person? What do you need to do? Well, you need to get to know God. There's, a, there's something happened here. It's always about knowing God, right? And His eternal plans. See, God is sovereign. And by sovereign, I mean that He is infinitely powerful and infinitely wise and what he does is, man, we have uh, free will. And so we can do what we want, 
And yet God is still able to move and operate through that to bring about his will, what he's wanting to do. And in this case, what he wants to bring to an end in some time in the future. God's told us his plans. Here's, here's just a real quick summary from the Bible. You can go to the next slide. Jesus said in Matthew 24, there will be wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, people rejecting their faith. Man, are you paying attention? People are rejecting their faith left and right. you got all these people who are really big in the Christian industry even, and now they're doing what they call deconstructionist. They're deconstructing their faith because they don't believe what the Bible's saying. Now Now they're questioning who God is and who Jesus is, and pretty soon, poof, they're gone. That's happening quite a bit. There's increased lawlessness. People's love will grow cold. Why? Isn't that the case? It was a weird dynamic that took place with COVID. There was people turned on people. Family turned on family. There are some families who wouldn't meet with other family members because of COVID. Decisions that people were making. We're in those times. We've been in the end times technically since Jesus Christ left. Okay, that's that's technical. But we are moving in that direction, and we're moving faster and faster and faster and faster. Daniel 9, the Old Testament, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 6 through 18. All the nations at one time, at some point here in the future, are going to be under the control of one person. There's going to be a, there's going to be a, a hub of power that will control all things. Now, again, I, I keep bringing up COVID, and I don't, you know, wherever you land on that, I'm not looking to cause an argument. But what I'm saying is this. Did you see how that happened? Did you notice the dynamics that caused nations to shut down? Did you notice how certain people had power and certain people had ways of communicating and and controlling what was communicated and what wasn't being communicated? And pretty soon, people were giving up freedom left and right. Churches weren't meeting. You know how easy it is for this to happen? It's going to happen. Revelation tells us it's going to happen. Revelation 19 to 20 tells us that Jesus returns. He defeats the Antichrist. He throws Satan in the uh, abyss for you know, a thousand years. He reigns on earth for a thousand years because he has to fulfill some Old Testament prophecies that haven't ful- been fulfilled yet with Israel that he gave to Abraham. He's going to release Satan. People are going to join up with Satan, believe it or not after Christ being on earth for a thousand years, they're still going to join up with Satan, then he will destroy this earth. And Satan and the Antichrist and all those who didn't take God's offer of salvation, they'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. And the rest of us, we get to go enjoy the new heaven and new earth. Why? Because God's good. Because he's awesome. Not because of anything we've done. And so we should be confident because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins and we get to be with him. We didn't do anything for it. (laughs) We should be confident because in the meantime, God's going to promise or God's promise to provide for us. When things get really rough, God's God's going to take care of us. He's going to provide. He may provide through a church family. He may provide through some other way, but he's going to provide for us. We don't have to be fearful. And so our confidence then will also Draw other people to Christ. And then the final area that some Christians, as they live as, as atheists, they fear is the issue of death. Again, the COVID crisis really 
put that front and center. Before I hit this point, I, I, uh, there's a video I want you to see. It's, uh, her name is Brittany. She's a young lady from down in Fremont. Um, her husband was actually in our young adults group back in the day when I was on staff down there. Um, but she has a, a testimony of what God has done for her because she recently faced death. And I think it's important for you guys to hear what she has to say. And I want you to really pay attention to her perspective as she faced her bout with death. My name is Brittany Sherman, and I accepted Christ at a young age. I met my husband here through church, and he proposed during the Christmas program in 2007, and we were married here at Grace in 2009. We have five children, three of which are with the Lord, and two girls that we are raising to follow God. In January of 2022, I noticed that I had a lump on my throat and it started to grow in size and become painful. So I decided to get it checked out. I went to countless doctor's appointments and had blood work done and lots of tests uh, just to find out that I had thyroid cancer. I really struggled with the possibility that I could end up dying and leaving my husband and my kids behind and just leaving them with that burden of what would happen if I was gone. A dear friend called me and told me, Brittany, what do you have to fear? If you live, it's for God's glory. And if you die, then you get to be in heaven with God forever. So it's a win-win situation. Surgery was scheduled the following week after I found out that I had cancer and um, I was really thankful for the team of doctors that I had and the wisdom that God gave them and being able to treat my, my cancer. Uh, I woke up later on after surgery and realized that my cancer was a little more aggressive and a rare form than they had anticipated that it had spread to my larynx and my windpipe. Uh, a lymph node as well was taken out and that I still had some microscopic cancerous forms left and had to get that treated. When I first found out that I had cancer, I wondered why God would have chosen me to get cancer. And I started seeing it not so much as a curse, but as a gift that he had given me. And that became more prominent when I saw it impacting not only my life, but the lives of those around me. And I had people coming up and saying that they were impacted by it. They were really struggling um, with it themselves. And through that, they had started coming to God and talking to Him, reading scripture, and that it strengthened their faith. Suffering exists uh, to bring us closer to God. I can attest to that because I came to know God in a more intimate way. My faith was deepened and I could feel Him there walking through that time with me. Genesis 50:20 says, but God meant it for good. Something so terrible like cancer can actually be meant for good. I know that God's healing isn't meant for everybody and that some people, the sight of heaven, will not be healed from cancer. If you're going through something like this right now, know that you can be a blessing by being open and honest in your weaknesses and allowing God to use that for His glory. I count everything as loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus is my Lord. Because for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain.
you know, praise God for a, a godly friend of hers that reminded her, you know, if, if you live, you, just get to, you get to continue living for God's glory. If you die, you get to go be with God. You know, that's, it may seem kind of, well, that's kind of trite. Well, no, it, that's truth. That's exactly what the truth is. Brittany's perspective, I threw it up on the board just in case, or up on the screen, just in case you missed it. First of all, she says, cancer was a gift from God, and it, it caused her to grow closer to him. Isn't that awesome? Great perspective. And, and this isn't someone who's lived, uh, you know, 90 years of faithfulness to God and, and their deathbed. This is a young lady who's been faced with, obviously, some pain earlier about her children, she mentioned, and now this. She said her response motivated others to turn to God. They began to talk with God and pray. They read scriptures, strengthened her faith. She says suffering exists to bring us closer to God. It allowed her to know God more intimately, she said. And then she lived out Philippians 3, 8, 121. That's what she quoted there towards the end. She didn't just hear what the Bible says. She actually lived it. She didn't just bring in, the, breathe in the smell of the omelet. She took a bite. She lived it out. She experienced what God wanted her to experience through that fear of death. Isn't God good? Isn't he awesome? We can trust him with everything that's going on in our lives. So what's the solution? The solution, again, is to know God intimately. And in that knowledge of God, we will then want to be with him. We won't fear death. We'll actually say, okay, if that's what's going to happen to me, God's got my family, and I get to spend eternity with him. I'm going to roll with some, some verses here. Um, this one, Colossians 2, uh, we talked about this when we were in this last series. It says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we received him by faith, and now, now we live by faith. We do life his way, not our way. Having been firmly rooted, and that happened at salvation, and now being built up in him, that's the process of growth, and established in your faith. There's this ever-growing confidence in God if we do life his way. Just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Next one, Philippians, which is uh, Brittany shared, says, for me to live is Christ. Let me just stop there. For me, for to me, Paul says, for to me, comma, for to me, to live is Christ. Sometimes I think we just kind of blitz right through that. To live is Christ. So to continue to live is to serve Jesus, glorify him, and to die is gain. To die is to be with the Jesus that he was serving, the one he loved so much and demonstrated that here on earth. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. So Paul's like, man, I'd like to stay, I'd like to go, not really sure. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, right? Get out of this earth, this world that's so messed up, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, because he'll see God work, and that's awesome. And then Peter gets into the act. Second Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. In other words, evaluate. Are you, are you truly saved? Do you truly know if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have that relationship? 
For as long as you practice these things, now the things he's talking about are in verses 5 through 9. I didn't want to read all those verses. It would have taken a long time. You can go back and read those. But there's this the spiritual growth process that Peter is talking about. You will never stumble. So if you do those things, if you work on those things and determine to do those things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, heaven, will be abundantly supplied to you. He's not saying you'll work your way into heaven. He's saying you will have greater confidence of your salvation, greater confidence that you have a relation with God, greater confidence that you're going to get to spend eternity with the God who loves you. See, our, our confidence in the face of death should then draw others to Christ. When we're going through our difficult times and we're sharing with people, yeah, you know, we struggle with fear, but we know God's got us and we, we've seen God work and we know when we die we're going to go. That confidence should cause people in our lives to go, wow, I want some of that. And so we need to know God. We need to know what he says. We need to live what he says or how he says to live. So does the fact that God exists make a, a difference in your life? If you're a Christian, it should make all the difference in the world. It should cause you to look at all areas of life and be confident that God's got it, that God's going to take care of us, specifically these three that we've looked at this morning. So what are our takeaways this morning? Well, the first one is, again, this whole idea of fear is removed and we know God personally. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with God, if you've never had a conversation with God where you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, because that's what's holding you back from a relationship with Him, if you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and you trust that Jesus Christ was your substitute when He went to the cross, that He died in your place, and you have that conversation with God, if you've never done that, or you, you're like, ah, you know, in the past, I think maybe, I'm not really sure, but you know, you're not real sure that if you died tonight, you'd spend eternity in heaven, then that's the first step. To, to connect with God on a personal level, level as he removes your sin and he places God the Holy Spirit into your life and adopts you into his family. So what I'd like to do this morning, if you just go ahead and close your eyes. and Again, I don't know where you're at, and I know some of you guys have been attending here for a long time, but that doesn't necessarily mean you've ever prayed that prayer to had that relationship started. And so I just want to offer to pray a prayer that you can pray, your heart to God's heart. I don't save you. The prayer doesn't save you. It's it's God who saves you based on your heart and what you desire for God to do. And so if you need to do that this morning, let me just offer to pray a prayer. And it goes something like this. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you. But I also, I know and I believe I'm putting my full weight of trust on what you said Jesus did for me. That he took your judgment for me. And that has removed my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. Thank you for saving me. Let's keep your eyes closed. If if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, if you just throw your hand up real quick and, and let me see that, and um, I'd love to be able to pray you. Thanks, thanks, appreciate that.
Anybody else? Thanks. Anybody else? Just pray to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that raised their hand this morning. I thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin as he died for my sin. I thank you that you've made it clear to them that they need you. They need your salvation. They need a relationship with you. And now that they've done that, your Holy Spirit is part of their life. And I pray that you would just confirm that in their own heart. And then, Father, I pray that as they do the next thing, that they would seek you out, spend time in your word to know who you are, and then to faithfully serve you, to to take those scary steps of faith and allow you to give them the power to do what you've called them to do, to experience you. In Christ's name, amen. The last takeaway is for we who have prayed that prayer, and that is this. The question is, are you spending time with God in his word? I know I keep coming back to this, but you know, really being a Christian and following Christ is not really a difficult thing. It's pretty simple, and it starts with being with him in his word. And so are you in his word? Are you, are you studying who he is? Are you seeing the character qualities, his attributes, how he operates, how he works? Are you looking at that and then looking at your life and saying, okay, where do I need to adjust? Where do I need to let him take over in my life? Because it's through that that you're going to see that he is good. You're going to experience his goodness. You're going to be able to face whatever comes down the pike with confidence because you know God's got it. And even at the point of death, you're going to be able to say, God, you've got me. I'm looking forward to coming and spending eternity with you. It's a win-win situation. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you so much for your word. Thank you thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. Thank you for sacrificing for us when we were sinners, when we were enemies. You died for us. Lord, you are good. Forgive us for the times that we think otherwise. Forgive us for the times that we're fearful and we don't step out in faith and we all do it. It's, it's, we're human that way. We're still sinners in, this, in these bodies. But thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us, strengthens us, and allows us to move forward in confidence. Lord, I pray for, for us as we leave this morning that your hand of safety would be upon us. I pray that you would give us opportunities through the week to represent you well, and that we'll come back next Sunday ready to worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being